Apple, are you listening? Michelle, hi. hi. We're in the same. We're in the same building, Michelle. We are. Do you know what? It's not just in the same city, in the same house. However, not in the same room. <laughs> Breathing the same, roughly the same air. I've got my Money Matrix incense money burning. Money Matrix. Have you got yours on? Yeah, I do. I do. I've got my Money Matrix burning with my citrine because we are channeling money, money, money. We had a magical week, didn't we, Michelle? Well, you got the vibes, Geordie. I got the vibes. We went to Brixton and we vibed out. With our friend and <laughs> energy clearer, Becca Bourne. She was amazing. Absolutely amazing. We decided, well, you guys decided you're going to come to my place in Brixton and give it a good old space clearing. Rebecca did her juju. She did her chance. She got out. She banged a gong. She did bang a gong. She had a drum made of human skin. It did, but it wasn't. It wasn't. She was amazing. She did everything. She pulled some oracle cards for me, made me almost cry. Yep. It was emotional. It was an amazing experience and we did do some little videos. So keep your eye on our social media. It's Instagram at eavesdropping underscore. Follow, follow, follow people because you'll get to see all sorts of funny. Oh, we're so, oh, I tell you, we are cards, aren't we, Michelle? (laughs) We are cards. Well, do you know what? We had a good response to the latest videos on MLM. Hey, Han. Hey, Han. And uh, Attila the Han. Uh, yeah, I think people like us being in the same room. I like Yay. being in the same room. It's been I so like nice. it. Yeah. Also, this week we did something else spiritual, didn't we? We had Becca Bourne. I hosted. She guided some local ladies from my area about 10 of them in a an intuitive painter session where you paint from the soul. You don't have to be good at painting or drawing pictures or anything like that. It's not about that. It's about time for yourself, breath work. We did a little meditation at the beginning. We had music on in the background. She guided us in our color choices, guided us in our inspiration. You got to write all over it, then cover it over again. So you've got your secrets embedded in the canvas. It was such an, a great experience, wasn't it, Michelle? It really was. And in fact, everybody who participated loved it. We had such a great time. And honestly, the artworks at the end, mine was the most shit, but everyone else's was so <laughs> good. They were. They were really wonderful. And it was so exciting to see people just come alive on the canvas and, yep. and really like get into it. Becca had like the oracle cards. So people were using that as inspiration yep. for their for their pictures, the colors, the techniques. It, yeah, it was really fantastic. I, I loved it. So thank you. Thanks, Becca, for not only like space clearing my home, but also for the amazing intuitive painting class. Absolutely wonderful. If you're in the UK and you're interested in any of Becca Bourne's services, we will attach links, links, links. She's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. I'll put it all in the show notes. All good. Yeah, all in the show notes. Fantastic. And actually, a little shout out to Davina, who gave us some info for a future episode. So watch this space, Davina. We're going to look into your suggestion. Absolutely. But first of all, we have a few shout outs to some listeners who really enjoyed last week's 
multi-level marketing episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it because if anyone hey huns you in the supermarket, you'll need to know what to do. (laughs) I mean, oddly, no comment from Jen about her breast milk. None. It's been radio silence. So I think she must be pumping away just her trying to like fill milk. up those bottles. <laughs> but Steph did say one of the big MLMs in Australia is Rodin and Field. It's mm. some skincare. Super expensive, like 200 bucks for a moisturizer. So I think it, that's an MLM out there. She said she's had people who she hasn't spoken to in years on Insta, well, on Facebook. Hi. Oh, she thought you might be interested in this. She gets randos on Viber texting about Rodin and Field. Yeah, so really weird. Tamira also got in touch, the modern mystic. Hello, Tamira. She got in touch to say that she had recently been to a conference for something called Heelys, not the little pairs of shoes that have wheels hidden in the back <laughs> that you can, that my daughter wears to glide around the streets of Surbiton, but yeah. some kind of thing that you can wear, which is, a, uh, she feels it's a scam. She feels it's a pyramid style selling. But anyway, that's last week's episode. Guys, go back and have a listen, contribute, have a chat on the on the Facebook page about it if you want, which is eavesdropping podcast i think you'll find us yes eavesdropping podcast eavesdroppingpodcast.com if you want to leave a comment on the episode you're more than welcome in fact we had a real life comment from a long time listener hannah huggers love you long time love you long time miss hannah huggers and you well she had said about doTERRA oils she Mm. had some she was using them And now she's a little scared. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare anyone about these synthetic oils. It's more just information and just more about, oh, you know, this is what's happening. But yeah, if you love doTERRA oils, you know, really, sorry, keep keep using them. Don't mind me. But people... Just people. be aware. Michelle's now <laughs> Michelle now has a catchphrase and it's people. Do your research. People. Stop this nonsense. People. Are you listening? People. Come on. No. It's really and scary. Scary. Oh man. We realized that Michelle was very emotional about last week's episode. And I fair was. Enough. I was emotional because it's it is scary people. It's scary, scary stuff, people. Scary, scary stuff. stuff. It's easy to get sucked into these cults. But anyway, moving on, moving on. Moving on, we've got a Libby who is hopefully a listener. I'm not sure. She's a friend. But Libby, if you're there, shout out. Shout out. You're getting a shout out. She suggested us looking into kidnapping stories because recently in Australia, there was the case of a four-year-old girl called Cleo Smith. Did you hear about this, Michelle? Yeah, I did. I get the uh, Sydney Morning Herald uh, newspaper headlines delivered to my inbox. Well, she was taken, you'll know then that she was taken from the tent where she was sleeping with her family on a camping trip. I think it was even in the same area that the family lived, which is in Western Australia. But she was missing for three weeks. Thank God they found her unharmed three weeks later in the home of a local man who collected Bratz dolls. And the story oh. is actually really troubling because his friends and family claim that he isn't he hasn't got the mental capacity to pull off such a crime. And Cleo oh. herself says that there was a mystery woman who came to brush her hair and wash her every day. No. In addition to this, Michelle, the other troubling aspect is that the suspect, who is Indigenous, had been badly beaten 
not once but twice in police custody. So I know this is a horrifying story to all Australians and all parents and all people, people in the world. But I would say just hold back on any thoughts and judgments on this case until we get the whole story. But there are other kidnapping stories that when we had a little deep dive, Mish, do you remember the singer, not Adele, but the other one, Duffy? Yes, yes, hang on. Mercy. Don't you oh, know, believe me? And the other one. She sounds like she's a baby screaming kind of voice. I quite like it. But do you remember the other one? When I get to Warwick Avenue. No. Oh. <laughs> but that sounds beautifully sung. Beautifully sung there, Michelle. Ta, 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 ta. Well, quite rightly, you could say of her, Michelle, where's she now? She hasn't got a career, like you say about Ben Mendelsohn and all the other people. I do say that. And also, too, at the time, she and Adele came out and they were both slated to be these big kind of power, heavy hitter, like women. But everyone thought Duffy was going to be the one that was successful. Well, she, Adele showed them all, didn't she? Well. But what happened to poor old Duffy? Well, I'm surprised you haven't heard this story, Michelle, no. because it happened about, I think, last year or the year before. I can't oh, remember. Shit. She disappeared off the radar mm. only to emerge in the last in the past few years, like I said, claiming that she'd been drugged in her own home by men, multiple men. Oh, my God. Held captive for four weeks and trafficked to another ca- country and repeatedly raped. What? Yep. Oh, my God. So this came out, I think it was a social media post, which was then jumped on by the press she hasn't actually spoken to i mean she has spoken to a journalist but that's been kept under wraps for now i can't find any more information apart from what she i've spoken got here to the fucking police jesus yeah she said she explained that at the end of this ordeal she had flown back to the uk with the accused men but she knew her life was in immediate danger because he made veiled threats to kill her and she also said it didn't feel safe to go to the police I felt if anything went wrong I would be dead and he would have killed me I could not risk being mishandled or it being all over the news during the ordeal oh my god or something like that she did say that then later she told two female officers first when someone tried to blackmail her with the information about her ordeal and then again when three men tried to break into her home but Duffy didn't reveal whether they investigated the original situation so that's Shit. it. I cannot find any more. But we have been told to hold fire, wait for more info because it's coming. Wow. That is really, really scary, people. Scary stuff. If this is true, it is really... That's another level of fear that yeah. women have to navigate in their already complicated lives. Because if what she's saying is true, she was in her own home, yeah. drugged and trafficked. I believe Fucking so. hell. Or maybe she wasn't in her own home to begin with. Maybe she was, you know, this new thing that's happening. You spoke about it on a previous episode, women being injected with drugs. Yes. And yeah, passing injected. out very much like if anyone's seen that TV show, Michaela Cole, I May Destroy You. My God, that's amazing. But it's very chilling because some predatory men, not all men are predatory. Some predatory men will take advantage of women in this way. Why? I don't know. I don't know the psychology behind it or the reasoning behind it. I have been spiked, not with a needle, but I got rowied, rohypnoled. Yeah. You're so out of control. Your brain for a moment realizes, fuck, 
I just I realize what's happening here and it's horrible and I, I luckily didn't have a terrible outcome I managed to get away to crawl away but you said that you were aware that when you got yourself into the situation being in this man's home who you didn't know that you just met you felt you were in control until he poured drinks in an opaque weird plastic cup and turned his back when pouring the drinks and you chose the other one that he wasn't offering you and he said no I mean alarm bells were ringing Alarm bells were ringing, but you also, by the way, it wasn't the first time I'd met him. I had met him previously and it wasn't like I just went home with a rando, but. um, (laughs) Jen, just so you know, your daughter is making good decisions. (laughs) And, you know, and I did have his, his business card. I had his contact details, you know, on some level, I thought I had done enough to make myself feel safe, Mm. but also you don't like to think that someone is really about to drug you even when it's like red flag red flag red flag and yeah I stupidly instead of just pretending to do a sip like "Mm," I actually did take a sip and I I was like within probably two minutes I was barely functioning it was really really fucking scary but Michelle you know what if you had drunk that whole thing without realizing I fear that you may have just died yeah you're only tiny yeah I was lucky that because I sort of had an inkling, I did realise, fuck, this could be a rehypnal situation. I managed, because I only had a small sip, I mean, I was fucked. I had to hide in a bathroom for nearly two and a half hours and he Jeez. was bashing the door down and I was oh like, God. I'm not feeling well. And But I was actually still conscious. Mm-hmm. For women who take more than a sip and are unconscious, man, you've got no chance, no chance at all. You are completely vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, at their mercy. And they probably won't show you any mercy if they have done that to you. So I think it's good practice to listen to your instincts, no matter how foolish you may feel at the time. I told you about a dog walk I was on recently where I felt very threatened. I remembered that you can press the side of your iPhone five times and it will emit a loud kind of rape alarm and call the police and your emergency contacts and also I called my husband and told him exactly where I was and then I ran (laughs) and then I felt foolish but he may have just been a worker like they were chopping down some trees in this woodland but I just felt exposed in a way that I don't usually so listen to that innate feeling look women have very strong most women have a very strong intuition about things we've talked about this before frog in the fry pan that can get chipped away Mm. by controlling men and you can, they can tell you that your intuition is wrong. And depending on where your mind is at, you can believe them. But actually, generally, I have found when I've had an intuition about something and I've been told, you're crazy, you're stupid, that's not how it is. Actually, in the wash, it is how I think it is. So that's a lesson for me to trust myself Absolutely. More. In some kidnapping cases, Michelle, you do hear about this Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Where I, th- I believe, you may be able to correct me on this, but I believe it's where a victim of kidnapping becomes attached, attached. to the, the perpetrator of the crime. Stockholm syndrome, it is where somebody who is in a vulnerable situation you know, it does form a bond with their, not so much an attacker, but the reason it's called Stockholm Syndrome is because in 1973 in Sweden, in Stockholm, strangely, uh, there was a bank robbery and the hostages were held 
And they formed like an irrational kind of emotional bond with their captors. In the end, when they finally were released, because, you know, there was a happy outcome, nobody died. uh, The hostages defended their captors. Not just one? No, all of them. And they wouldn't testify against them in court. No. And so... It was really bizarre and that, like I said, this was back in 1973 and I think nothing like that had ever happened before where people had connected with their captors or, you know, formed this emotional bond. So, yeah, with kidnappers, this apparently happens a lot. Have you seen Dog Day Afternoon? No. I've seen it multiple times. Bloody love that film, Al Pacino. Okay. Check it out. So all I'm going to say. I was going to say, where's the story? What's the upshot here? <laughs> it's a bank robbery. Oh, okay. I don't know if there is much Stockholm Syndrome going on in the film because I can't quite remember. Having seen it multiple times, I still have forgotten. <laughs> but it, it's fascinating. It's one of those great 70s films. Oh, it just When you were describing Stockholm Syndrome, I just had that film and some scenes from it in my mind. So are there any examples of Stockholm Syndrome in the news recently that you know of? I mean, not that this has been super recent, but when I was digging through, I came across the story of Natasha Campush. Oh, yes. I knew that that was in the back of my mind somewhere. Okay. I remember this. Do you? What do Mm -hmm. you remember? I remember that she was kidnapped, I think at a young age, and then some years later, and there was no babies or anything, she was released, but she had been seen, I think, out and about with her captor beforehand. And I think there was a level, I mean, she did run away and she did go to the police or whatever she did or found a neighbour and tell them I'm Natasha Campush. But he ended up, I don't know, I don't want to give you a story away, but he didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, look. And there's another film that reminds me of this as well with Jodie Comer called oh. 13. Now that is another good, it's not a film, it's a TV series on BBC, I think. Jodie Comer is one of her first I... uh, roles and it's very similar. Well, you don't know whether they're in a relationship or not. And you don't know if she's the victim because she has been, she was 13 when she was captured. She was like 17 or 18, maybe 20 when she came out. And her school friends are trying to figure out, were you actually? I mean, do you love this guy? Yeah, look, I'm going to run you through Natasha's story because there are some similarities there. But this all happened in 1998, March 2nd, uh, when she was 10. So Natasha set off for school from her house in the Donaustad district in Vienna. Yeah. And she was carrying a rucksack. She was wearing a red ski jacket. This was her routine every day to school. But on this day, she never arrived at school. So after being absent that day from school and not arriving home, the alarm was raised. And basically, it became one of the biggest manhunts in Austrian history where detectives followed thousands of leads in the search for Natasha. The thing is, she'd recently been on a family trip to Hungary and she still had her passport in her rucksack. So the police flipped out and they were like, okay, this is not just a local search. This is now an international search because if she's been abducted, she could easily be taken anywhere because she had a passport. So it it got really escalated. The search for her went on for days. It was worldwide news. And there was this one witness who claims she saw Natasha. And it was a a 12-year-old girl. Her name was Ishtar Akan. Apologies if I've got that wrong. And she says she saw Natasha being pulled into a white minivan by a guy while a second man was in the driving seat. And 
they hauled her in and then they drove off. So at the time, she gave this info to the police. But the police only half believed her. The 12-year-old? Yeah. And they kept trying to convince her that she'd only seen one man. Hmm. And that her eyes were playing tricks on her. And I read a few media reports about this. And they kept saying things to her like, you made a mistake, didn't you? You know, you couldn't possibly have seen a second man from where you were standing, could you? Or things like... Maybe you saw a second van nearby and with two men in it and you mixed it up. So they were insistent that this was like a lone abduction. But this little girl at the time and all these years later, because there have been sort of media reports in the last few years where she has come out and said these things. She says there were two men and she knows what she saw she was really worried because they saw her as well and she said she was fucking scared as a child because she thought they would find her mm-hmm. and kind of maybe abduct her or or worse this detail is important for what i'm going to tell you afterwards okay. but basically what they did take from ishtar's story was the idea that natasha was abducted by someone in a minivan in a white minivan Mm -hmm. So the police put together this massive search and 776 minivans in Austria were examined. So they went and knocked on doors, 776 people with with white minivans. They actually knocked on the door of a guy called Wolfgang Pricklepil. And he's this bit of a loner in a town sort of like half an hour's drive away from Vienna Mm -hmm. in Strasshof and a Nordbahn. He was this like kind of, he was 36. He was a communications technician. He'd worked for Siemens. Bad name. Alarms. I'm thinking BTK because he, <laughs> he worked for telephone companies, didn't he? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yeah. Siemens. Another red yeah. flag. Yeah. <laughs> don't know. Sorry, Siemens. So the police knocked on his door and he told them that oh, on that morning I was, I was just home alone. So no alibi. No. No real alibi, but he must have convinced them somehow because the police believed him and just moved on. And look, you know, they did loads of searches, loads of appeals for Natasha to come home. And basically, they even brought up ideas of, you know, that she'd been the victim of child sex trafficking or organ trafficking, actually. Yeah, I guess because I'd never really thought about that. But, you know, like... Young children, like healthy, lovely organs. Yeah, I guess, you know, they're little little cash machines. Oh, don't give people ideas, Michelle. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, <laughs> no, they're not cash machines. Anyway. They're human beings. Humans. People. people. Yeah, unfortunately, after they'd sort of exhausted all these leads, then the leads just went cold. The case went cold and it seemed that Natasha just sort of vanished without a trace. That was until lunchtime on the 23rd of August in 2006, eight years later, when an 18-year-old girl ran through the streets of same town, Strasshof Mm -hmm. and Nordbahn, asking people for help. Was she in a state of undress or did she look like she she was fully No, she was fully dressed, but she was really agitated and just really desperate and she apparently first of all stopped these two guys and said help me help me I've been kidnapped and I've escaped do you have a mobile phone and they're like oh no and so she just kind of ran off and knocked on doors and finally she knocked on the door of a 71 year old woman called Inga 
And she just, she said, I've been kidnapped, please call the police. And she said, my name's Natasha Campush. And that she just escaped from her master. So I'm, I'm getting to, excited. my hands are here. I'm getting too excited about the story. But look, hats off to Inga because she actually did call the police. Thank God. The police came, took Natasha to the station and she was identified, not immediately, but she had a scar that was very like identifiable. And also she gave the address of Pricklapil's house and they went and raided it. They pulled back this cupboard and found a door, a secret door made of concrete and reinforced steel in the garage. And when they opened it, it led to this tiny cellar that was soundproofed. It had no windows and they found Natasha's passport in there. Oh, my God. So they also did, I think, a DNA test as well. And it was like tick, tick, tick. Yeah, this is Natasha. And yeah, after eight years of being a missing person, she was back. So according to reports, she told detectives she'd been kidnapped and imprisoned in that dungeon. And of course, like beaten, raped, treated like a slave by Wolfgang. And actually, I also did read some reports that she did get pregnant to him and lost the baby. The baby didn't make it. And weirdly, I've also seen online pictures of her and him standing together. She's in a wedding dress and he's in a suit. Oh, Christ. Where did you see those pictures, Michelle? Online, in German newspapers. So, I mean, this story runs deep. And look, you know, we don't have a lot of time to go into all the details. Basically, beaten, raped, treated like a slave by Wolfgang Pricklapil, who was 44 by that stage. Yuck. And he insisted that she call him master. So when they asked her, like, how did you escape? She said he had ordered her to clean and vacuum his car. And so they were in the garden and he got a call on his mobile. And because the vacuum was loud, he sort of moved away to take the call and she sort of saw her moment and she like left the vacuum running so the the noise was on and she just ran good unseen by him because he had his back to her and was talking on the phone and that's where she ran through the streets like knocking on doors finally ending up at Inga's place but this is where the story gets weird actually and you alluded to this a few hours after Natasha escaped Wolfgang was found on train tracks, beheaded by a train after he supposedly just lay down and and waited for a train to run over him, basically in an act of suicide because the reports I read, they had said he he knew once she'd escaped, the game was up and he didn't want to face anyone. So he basically lay down on a train track and killed himself. Quite frankly, there are other ways to do that. But it was then reported that when Natasha was told about Wolfgang's death, she fucking bawled her eyes out. She was inconsolable. Wow. And they put this down to Stockholm Syndrome. And also, yes, I guess it could be Stockholm Syndrome. But also you've got to remember, this is a 10-year-old girl in a woman's body. Yes, she might be 18, but, you know, 
she's been used and abused for eight years and really only contact with one person. So I can see that if the only adult in your life is this person, you rely on them for everything, you're going to feel quite conflicted. So I kind of... And look, she just escaped. So if she was crying, who knows what she was going through? I don't know. Yeah. What. But they make, they make a big deal out of the fact that she was bawling her eyes out. That she felt for it, felt his loss. Yeah. So I kind of get that. But then after she said to the police, can she go to the mortuary and see his body? Oh and when God. she was there, she threw herself over his body and just started wailing again. I don't really know what to make of that because we don't know what she went through and what kind of psychological fucked upness she was she was going through but we can't put ourselves luckily we can't put ourselves in her position we don't know what transpired between the ages of 10 and 18 we don't know what the conversations were like what the tenderness were like what you know what the feeling of feeling protected when she everything else was cut 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 perhaps she was told her parents didn't care about her anymore Perhaps she was fed lies that she believed, you know? Yeah. Her reality is a different thing now. Well, the thing is too, you had mentioned earlier that there had been reports of her out. He did take her skiing one time and, you know, she had been on a few trips out, but mostly she was kept in that dungeon. And, you know, they had said, oh, how come you didn't escape before? And and she had said, there just wasn't the opportunity. And, you know, this was an opportunity and she took it. So, look, with all of that in mind, fast forward 10 years to 2016, her case sparked fresh scrutiny when newspapers reported that Natasha, and she was 28 by this time, apparently she carries a photograph of Wolfgang in her handbag. To this day. At all times, to this day. Then she also lives in the house where she was kept captive. Yeah. Oh, my God. She bought it. She bought that house and that's where she lives. Because she refused to do interviews. I think I remember that. Yeah, she didn't talk for a long time. Yeah. And then she's released a book. She's actually, they say she's made millions from her story. And you know what? Like, fuck it. Why not take the money? You know, she's been through hell. But there's been some speculation about what's actually going on here with this case because new investigations have sort of revealed that there could be links to a high-powered child sex ring, police corruption and murder. Oh. Yeah. So there are claims that Wolfgang didn't just lay down on the tracks and commit suicide, that actually he was murdered and placed on those train tracks. He could have undone all, toppled them all. Yes. And... Look, there's this German newspaper called Der Spiegel or Das Spiegel. And apparently in this paper, they revealed that the two coroners who initially investigated Wolfgang's death claimed that it wasn't investigated properly and not to acceptable forensic standards by police. And that there's a question mark over whether or not he was killed before the train decapitated him. And apparently there is a former president of the Supreme Court in Vienna. I actually don't know what that means, but he's a former president of the Supreme Court. He reckons as well that he's come out and said that there were serious doubts about whether Wolfgang Pricklepill was killed beforehand. So there's a big question mark over that because if Wolfgang was murdered, why? And who wanted him dead? And the two men that Ishtar saw in the van? Well, one of them was Wolfgang. 
So who was the second one? And this is where it gets a bit bloody line of duty here. Right. So apparently after Natasha escaped, Wolfgang was captured on CCTV at a local like shopping centre with a guy called Ernest Holzapfel. Well done, Michelle. Thanks. <laughs> this guy was apparently his business partner. So Ernst helped Wolfgang escape the police because he knew that as soon as Natasha fled, police would be after him. So Wolfgang called him and picked him up and took him to a shopping this shopping centre where he was captured on CCTV. And apparently Wolfgang had said to Ernst, this is an emergency, pick me up. Keep in mind, yeah, that... Natasha at that moment is at the police station accusing Wolfgang and the police go directly to his house and discover the basement and the passport, right? Apparently the last images of Wolfgang alive are of him and Ernest at the mall talking like super intently and the police went and and found him and he made a statement. Ernest made a statement to police saying, yes, okay, I admit I took... Wolfgang to the super uh, to the shopping centre and I drove him around town, but he said he thought that Wolfgang was avoiding the police because he said he'd been stopped earlier that day for drink driving and was terrified of losing his license. So that's why he wanted Ernest to like pick him up, drive him around, and then Ernest said that he tried to convince Wolfgang to give himself up because he'd probably only lose the driving license for a few months. It all just sounds like bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. This guy knew. Yeah, of course he did. And then apparently afterwards he said, I just can't believe that my friend would kidnap a child. I can't believe he would be capable Whatever. of doing something you know, like that. It's weird because Ernest in later reports denied being anything more than a business partner. But he does say that he visited Wolfgang a lot at his house during those eight years that Natasha was in captivity. But he says he never knew she was there. And look, you actually do hear that a lot because do you remember the guy in America with the fried chicken who like saved those girls and no one around knew that there were all those girls in the basement. So I don't know what you're talking about, but. Oh, okay. I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Do you remember they do those mashups and it was like, I ate fried chicken with that dude or whatever. Anyway, no. I'll put- I'm in the dark. They did a song mashup and it was a they'd taken the guy's like interview he did on like one of the news channels and just put a beat behind it anyway. It was right. fantastic at the time. I'll put it on, okay. on the show notes. We'll need to look at the notes for that, people. People Apparently Wolfgang was like, Oh yeah, I'd been to the house loads but never saw Natasha. Except for one time where he went to borrow some tools and he met a young girl who seemed relaxed and happy. Oh. And sounds like all bullshit because then yeah. in 2009... Because she's going to point the finger at him, right? Yeah. So in 2009, Ernest admitted that Wolfgang told him in the car after he'd picked him up and was taking on the him day. on the day that he had kidnapped Natasha But Ernest says he didn't say anything to the police about that because he thought he'd be implicated. Now, in Germany, there's another newspaper called Bild and they ran a headline that read, Was the kidnapper murdered? Above a large picture of Ernest. And in the article, they raised suspicions about Ernest's involvement in the kidnapping. 
and that again ties back to Ishtar's story of seeing two men in the right in the white minivan and then apparently police let Ernest go inside Wolfgang's house hours after Natasha had escaped so Ernest went there and said oh I'm just here to pick up some tools same line again right tools why have you got a girl in your basement Ernest yeah but he's since been accused of going there, not picking up tools, but removing computers, images, hard drives, yeah. anything that Natasha could have used to implicate him in her captivity. And all they found when they searched the house was at Commodore 64 from the 80s. Honestly. That was the only People. computer they oh. found. So it's all it's all a bit shit. And then it's infuriating as what it is. Yeah, it sounds like the German police maybe like missed a few key things in this case. But apparently when um the police went to Ernest on the day of Natasha's escape, apparently his first words to police were, Has he killed her? <gasps> yeah. So this suggests that he knew more than he more. was letting on. Yeah. And then there is this mysterious death of Colonel Franz Kroll. He was a police investigator who was in charge of Natasha's case and he was found dead on the balcony of, a, of his apartment with a gunshot wound to the head nice. and his own police gun lying at his feet after mm. telling his brother, listen, I'm onto something big in the Natasha Campush case. Oh. And apparently there was also a suicide note about, oh, work and family problems, but... I don't know. Sounds a bit like you said, line of duty, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. What's his name again? We did the Daniel Morgan, Morgan case. Of, yeah. Yes. So really sus. And look, there have been some investigations into this guy's death. There are question marks over whether or not it was suicide. But he, the brother, reckons that Franz, Colonel Franz Kroll, knew too much and had files on all the people linked to Natasha's case and that he was killed because of it. And that this is part of new information that indicates Wolfgang was part of a bigger pedophile network. Ew. Yeah. And also German news reports reckon there's evidence that shows that Wolfgang had regular contact with a pornographer and a pedophile group and handwriting experts have said that they think the suicide note found next to Wolfgang's body on the train tracks, because apparently mm. there was a note, was actually Ernest's writing. And then also weirdly, on the day of Natasha's escape, she, I don't know how or why she had a phone, but apparently there were more than a hundred phone calls between Natasha and Ernest. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Yeah, and he only reckons he'd met her that one time as that relaxed, happy girl when he went to pick up some tools. Look, the upshot of all this is what the fuck is going on here? Is Natasha covering something up? Is she trying to protect another guy or has she been coerced into not giving information and spared her life? I don't know. I really don't know. But yeah, there is really something sus going on here. I really, I don't know then. This case surfaces every few years with people yeah. having fresh speculations or new information. But she's pretty enigmatic. She's written a book. She advised on a film. She's made apparently more than six mil. She's, but she's basically a recluse. She's never married. She doesn't have a boyfriend. 
I think she's basically got a fucked life. And look, if anyone's interested, she wrote a book in 2013 called 3096 Days, where she talks about what happened to her. And then uh, she wrote a second book titled 10 Years of Freedom, and that was released in 2016. So look, every time she she does something, she, you know, there's fresh interest in this case. But for me, I feel it's quite unsatisfying because there are so many question marks over this guy, Ernest, and what's happening. And how many other girls like Natasha are there out there who are waiting to be rescued, you know? It's terrifying. Horrific. Scary stuff, people. Scary Scary stuff. Are you listening to me? Why are you crying? Dropping dropping trolley. Murdered. I have a little story that's Similar, but not the same. Okay. Same, same, but different, whatever they say. I found this story in The Guardian, and I don't remember when it came out. It was in 2017. Hmm. There was a glamour model, yeah, a glamour model called Chloe Ayling, who's from Coulston. She turned up for a modelling assignment in Milan, and when she got to the assignment, she was injected with ketamine and gagged, stuffed into a whole doll bag and then driven 120 miles in a car boot to a remote farmhouse near Turin. Oh, my God. She was unconscious for much of the journey and was later told that she would be auctioned as a sex slave on the dark web for 300,000 euros. Jesus Christ. What a day. Oh, dark web. Have you ever been on? No. How do you get on? You have. I don't know. You have, haven't you? No, because you have to have some kind of, I don't know. Invite? No, I don't want to know about that. I don't want to know either anyway. Her kidnapper told Ailing that she'd been taken from Milan by a people trafficking gang called Black Death and two of their foot soldiers were the perpetrators. Okay. He told her that when he heard about it, he travelled from Rome to rescue her because he realised she'd been kidnapped by mistake. Chloe had a young daughter at home in Coulston and Black Death regard kidnap of young mothers as unethical, unprofitable and they aren't worth as much on the dark web. That sounds like bullshit. I don't know. That sounds weird. So he went on to tell her that the original kidnappers knew him as a more senior member of the Black Death Club and he had given them permission to leave the farmhouse while he took over. So effectively, he's gaining her trust. Because he's her knight in shining armour, right? If he was her knight in shining armour, he'd just fucking release her. Well, this man's name was Lukas Herber and he told Chloe that there were black death agents everywhere and that she had to trust him because he was risking his life to help her. Okay. So she said she spent the first day and night handcuffed to the furniture crying and on the second day, Herber asked if she would like to he- share his bed, which she agreed to, rather than being tied to furniture. She felt, okay, maybe this is the way for me to get out. She didn't want to anger him by objecting. And because he wanted to do something for her in that moment, she felt that it was the right thing to do. I guess it's sex, right? I guess she's sleeping with him. I don't know. She had a strategy then to make Herber feel sorry for her. And over the days that followed, it was apparent that he was developing feelings towards her. No mention of sex in the story, Michelle, so I do not know. Okay, sorry. But he asked her if they might become a couple, to which she would reply, in the future, maybe, when I'm released, we can be a couple. Oh, my God. So he's got Stockholm Syndrome in reverse. Well, he's, he's after her. He, yeah. He's falling in love with her. And she thinks this is her way out. She can see a chink. So yeah, yeah. she said that when he says to her, when she says to him, 
yeah, maybe in the future we can be together, but only when on the outside. He seemed really happy about it. So she was encouraging this and leading him on continually. But yeah. then the story took a strange twist, Michelle. Herbert told Ailing that she had already met him a few months earlier in April. What? At that point when they met, it was on another modelling assignment. He was posing as a photographer called Andre Lazio and had lured her to Paris for a fake photo shoot <gasps> where... His agency, I'm doing inverted commas here, had paid her agency £2,000 up front. But the shoot was called off when Andre called to say his equipment had been stolen. So the two did meet briefly when he turned up to apologise and give her money for a taxi to the airport from the shoot location. Herber was wearing sunglasses at the time, so she didn't recognise him. And he told her she was supposed to have been taken then, but he discovered that she had the daughter. So he changed the plan. Oh, oh, this is sus. This kind of Leon style, you know, mm. hitman with a heart. Anyway, Herbert asked Ailing if there was anyone who might pay the ransom for her. And she named three older men. Her agent, Phil Green, was not on the list. But Herbert emailed him anyway to say that she'd been kidnapped and would be released for 300,000 euros. What? Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe he had information about Green from before because obviously he'd paid the money in Paris. Yeah, and he knew that she was, he was the agent. So, yeah. He knew a lot about her. Well, he's a stalker. It does sound like that, doesn't it, Michelle? Anyway, the agent, Green, got back to him to say that one of, one of the friends that she had named out of the three guys had offered £20,000 for her release. But that wasn't enough. Even though that wasn't enough, Herbert seemed determined to let her go, perhaps because of the promise of a relationship. I don't know. So he told her that once she was released, she would have to send him 50,000 euros in Bitcoin and help her publicize Black Death as a leading terror organization because she's from the UK and they don't have an audience there yet. So that was, that was a condition <laughs> oh of her release. Oh, God. So weird. <laughs> I know. So he drove her to the British consulate in Milan. And the plan yeah. was to drop her a short walk away while he made his escape and she made it, made her escape. But uh, when they got there, the consulate was shut and it wasn't opening for a couple of hours. So Herbert decided they should go and have breakfast. Huh. So witnesses saw this and they later told reporters that they were laughing and joking in a cafe. Oh, okay. Then he made the decision to walk her to the consulate once it had opened to hand her in. So he told her, he said, let's make a plan. Why don't you say, I'm your only friend in Italy. And after escaping the kidnapper, you'd borrowed a stranger's phone and asked me to come and rescue you. So that was the plan they had cooked up before she okay. walked into the Milan consulate. Herbert assumed that he would simply be allowed to leave the consulate. So she stuck to the story, but soon hit a problem when the police said, so what's his phone number, your friend? Oh, she didn't shit. Know it. She didn't know it. So she then spilled the beans to the translator, broke down. She was there for hours. She told him everything, but not, yeah. not quite everything. So Ailing had told the police she'd been stripped down to her underwear when she was kidnapped. So police wondered where she got all the clothes she was wearing now. She was wearing a brand new tracksuit, trainers. She said Herber had given her the tracksuit to wear at the farmhouse, but she neglected to say that they had been shoe shopping together out and about for the trainers four days after being kidnapped. Because the police had photos of them shopping no. for these shoe <gasps> shops. And they were holding hands. Oh, my God. So at this point, Chloe Ailing breaks down when the police say what they've got. 
they said yeah. they'd had the footage because they'd been looking for her because her agent Phil Green had contacted them to say that she'd been abducted. So not only was she missing, there was an email. So he immediately got onto the police. Well done. Anyway, she doesn't know why she left the shoe shopping part out. She said that she'd been there for 12 hours at that point with the police and she told them so much else that she feels that she just genuinely forgot to fill that part in. Hmm. Either way, Herber was arrested, which left Ailing with confused and mixed emotions. She said that she felt sympathy for him because he'd been the one to save him. Now, she's still thinking that this Black Death is all real, you know? Yeah. So she was so frightened that the reason why they planned changed their plan and he walked her too the UK consulate in Milan, was because she was so frightened of having to walk the 20 metres or whatever it was. She thought that they were waiting for her. She was going to be jumped. She oh felt she was God. only safe with him. That's what she told the police, right? Okay. So she was terrified to be parted from Herber. So she had to stay in Milan for three weeks while all this pre-trial went on. And Ailing then discovered the truth. There was no such thing as Black Death. Mm. Herber had bought the ski masks. There were photographs of her drugged on his phone. His brother was his collaborator. They were the ones responsible for attacking and, and drugging her in the first instance. And once she returned home, she was on new shows like Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan. And he ended up being a bit combative and asking her questions like, why would you lie to the police about the shoe shopping thing? It's not it's not insignificant to go shopping with your alleged kidnapper and buying new shoes if you're going to conduct media interviews where you're being paid money and you're doing a book for thousands of pounds before there's even been a trial. And oh. I think we're perfectly entitled to ask you these questions. Holy shit. So basically, it's all a fucking setup. Well, we don't know. Well, that's what it looked like. So she just said, listen, it's all going to come out in the end. She wasn't rattled. Oh, she was probably a little bit rattled. I didn't look at the interview. But anyway, Herber claimed in court that they had come up with a kidnap plan together. No! To help her to, out of um, financial difficulties. And he claimed that their plan was based on the plot of a recently released film, By Any Means, in which a minor celebrity is kidnapped and that the kidnapper was in love with the celebrity. Herber was eventually convicted of kidnapping and extortion and sentenced to 16 years and nine months in jail. And the prosecutor, Paolo Storari, described Herber, who is a Polish national based in the UK, as a fantasist with narcissistic tendencies. So they believed her that they weren't in, co in cahoots at all. And the court said that the length of the sentence reflected the fact that Ailing could have been killed, like you, Michelle, when you were at that guy's house drinking the little tiny sip. She could have been killed by the ketamine or suffocated in the car boot. So yep. upshot is she wasn't in cahoots with him. Okay. It was a fantasist who went too far. Okay. Do you know what? I'm quite pleased that she wasn't in cahoots with him because that would absolutely yeah. fucking destroy my faith in people. Yeah. You know, to think that somebody would do that just for a little bit of money. You know, for a little bit of social media fame. She came out to the UK. There was lots of photo photographs of her all over the place, photo shoots, you know. Right. She'd been through hell, but she was speaking about it in a strange way. I mean, again, no one knows what it's like to, to be in a situation like that. No, no one knows how you would react. There's no right or wrong way. No, there's not. But the idea of two people cooking up a story like that just is awful. But he did time. Well, he's do well, he's doing time. I guess he's still in, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. And and I I wonder what's happened to her since. Who knows? Oh, well, amazing story. Thank you so much. And thank you for filling in all the gaps about the Campush story as well. It's really quite shocking. Lots of food for thought there, Michelle. Do not compute. Well, I did some research. AKA Googling. Invest a Googling. 
I actually read this story the other day and this this really terrified me as well because I'd never even thought something like this could happen. It's not really anything to do with kidnapping, but this guy, and it was somewhere in the UK. I'll find the story and put a link in the show notes. This elderly guy who owned a house in some small, you know, town in, in the UK, he had to travel quite a lot for work. So he was in and out, but he, he knew his neighbours and, and you know, everything was fine. And then one day his neighbours said, texted him and said, oh, are you home? He's like, no. And they're like, oh, well, the lights are on in your house. And he's like, oh, uh, that's a bit weird. So they went over there and uh, they were like, you better come back straight away. What had happened was somebody who'd obviously been monitoring his comings and goings for quite some time had probably stolen his mail, figured out who he was, went to the land registry, got all of his details. They sold his house. Oh. And this new person inside was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is my house. And and they were like, yeah, we got it for a bargain, 131,000 pounds, right? But this is my house. And the, he went to the police and they said, oh, well, this is a civil matter. We can't help you. He's like, they, they can't do anything. Is, this is it's my fraud. house. Well, it is fraud. Oh so God. now they're looking into it. But this guy now has no house, has to pay for lawyers. And someone else has supposedly bought his house. And I was Who? just thinking, oh, my God, the schemes that people come up with. Yeah, you know, it's really people. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary stuff. You've advertised so many ways that crimes can be committed in this very episode, Michelle. I'm not sure we should put it out. Crime doesn't pay, guys. Crime doesn't well, pay. Well, it does. It actually. can pay it can sometimes. Pay. Maybe it's. It might be easier than MLMs to make a bit of dosh. I don't know. But don't take our words for it. Don't do it. Just (laughs) don't don't do it. (laughs) Oh, well, look, thanks for all your amazing stories. And it's so good to see your face. And now I'm going to see you in like a minute. I'll see you downstairs in about two seconds. (laughs) But what you guys need to do, you know what you need to do. You need to like, you need to subscribe to our podcast. You need to share, you need to subscribe to our YouTube channel and you need to tell all your friends and keep on eavesdropping 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 eavesdropping